All right, well, we want to welcome you to uh, Plum Creek Chapel and so delighted to have uh, David Fiorazzo from Stand Up for the Truth. You live in uh, the Green Bay area, is that yes, right? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. A couple of miles south, south of yeah. Green Bay. That's yes. okay. Well, we'll forgive you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but man, he's just become a dear friend and really, we're not going to uh, project. Um, so, uh, he, I've had the privilege of being on the show there, and it's an interesting story how I first met David. I'll share that in a moment, but I want to give you a little background about David, some things that I didn't know, and maybe some of you knew this, but Uh-oh. David Here it comes. actually uh, has a background in television and lived out on the West Coast in, uh, in uh, the L.A. area near Hollywood and uh, did several spots on TV shows that you would know of. For example, here he is on Golden Girls with, uh, with Betty White. Check out the mullet. Yep, the mullet. Well, we got a better one of the mullet coming up. So, uh, and uh, I'm so glad that you don't have that mullet. (laughs) I made it work for as long as possible. Yeah, well, maybe too long, I think. think. Uh, And I don't remember, I guess this is on General Hospital. And uh, so there he is back in his, uh, the the funny thing is, this was 30 years ago and he hasn't changed a bit. (laughs) So, unlike me. And then here's another one with Estelle Getty. Uh, and there's the mullet. That was even earlier. Yeah. N- via 1990, I think. What was this like last year? 89 or. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So thank you uh, for being with uh-huh. us, David. And I'm going to uh, <laughs> make a couple of quick changes here so we can see if we're, whoops, if we're coming through. Uh, well, I should pull up the live stream on my phone here. Here we go. Well, I mean, you could, or you could just, since you're really live, I mean, I think you're really here. We'll see. So we want to just uh, kind of take some time. David is an expert in, in Christian culture, and I say that because as the host of Stand Up for the Truth, he interviews top pastors, evangelical leaders, Christian leaders from across the country and uh, every day. Uh, four days a week. They, his show airs five days a week, but uh, they do a repeat one day a week, midweek, give him a little bit of t- breather. Yeah. And, um, and so I just thought since we've got him with us, it'd be a great opportunity to just uh, pick his brain a little bit. Now, we do uh, have some of his latest book. He's written several books. His latest book is uh, called Canceling Christianity. You've heard me talk about it before at Not By Works Ministries. We include this when we travel and speak over the last year. But we've got 10 of these back on the table at the back. Uh, when they're gone, they're gone. If you uh, would like to get one, the church purchased these, and the church uh, got them at cost. He gave, us, gave them to us at cost for $10. So if you would like one, just put 10 bucks in the little box on the table back there. Uh, not the offering box, but the resource table box, the little white box, and help yourself to one of those. Again, there's only 10 of them, but I know you'll enjoy that great book that just sort of talks about some of the unique things that we're facing in our culture today, like uh, the uh, obviously the cancel culture, uh, critical race theory, uh, what are some of the other topics you deal with in there? Oh, my goodness. The Great Reset, which yeah, you oh, talk yeah. a lot about. Yeah. Um, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Uh, talk about um, the, the pro-life movement and the challenges there politically. I, I, policies, platforms, and procedures. Mm. What does that mean? Uh, the fact that a lot of Christians have fallen away from researching things from a biblical worldview and then applying that to their politics and how they vote. Um, if you're not doing that, and you just voted the way your family has always voted. I call that idolatry because you're putting something else above God in the Bible then. If you're not going to the Bible and saying, okay, here's what the Bible teaches, but here's what that, what that particular candidate or party believes or endorses, 
Um, so I read a lot about that because that's one of the problems with in the church, social justice and uh, critical race theory. I touch on that. I touch on the education um, industry, not industry, um, entertainment industry and the education uh, in America that's uh, just been hijacked by the left going on probably 75 plus years. Um, and also the big tech media conglomerate, the one party big tech media. I talk a lot about that because I personally have been censored, shadow banned. Um, my new book, we tried to, I have a very small publisher with no marketing uh, department and we just tried to put something I did on Facebook. Six times I was rejected for just trying to put an ad out. And on our Stand Up For The Truth Facebook page, it's been shadow banned for years. I don't know if you're familiar with what shadow banning is, but that's when they allow you the kindness, right? They allow you to post something, but nobody can see it. That's called shadow banning. Yeah. They, so I can see something that's posted, but for example, the, a podcast with J.B. Hickson. We will post that a couple hours after we record the podcast. And we have approximately 24, 25,000 people that like the page, fans, or people that want to follow or are interested in Stand Up For The Truth. An average of four people like the podcast, and it's not JB. That's well, that could be. Podcast. I mean, that, that actually might make sense. I don't know. No, that, that's every podcast. Yeah, yeah. Every podcast. It's, if it gets over 10 likes or shares, that's amazing. So that's shadow banning. When you've got that many people that are interested in what you're doing, mostly Christians, of course, but don't get to see it on their newsfeed. So that's what happens. So um, we're in a dangerous place when it comes to free speech, and I talk also a lot about religious freedom one of the most important topics in the last two years, probably. Yeah, we've experienced the same thing at Not By Works Ministries, especially a lot of the stuff we did on uh, Spirit of the Antichrist a year ago, and then more recently, uh, what in the world is going on. So we gave up Facebook, or gave up, we've never been on Facebook, but we gave up YouTube a mm. uh, long time ago, and now we, we host all of our own stuff right at notbyworks.org. Um, but uh, it's unfortunate because YouTube, uh, such as it is, used to be a... a a helpful medium to find and research all mm -hmm. kinds of topics. You yep. know, to really a lot of the truth movement in any subject, not just Christianity. You could go to YouTube and you could find uh, videos about it. But now they've been banned, they've been taken down, or the shadow banning also is when you search for stuff and it doesn't come up in the searches, even though it's there. Oh, on Google. Uh, yeah. yeah, Google bottom. Yeah, yeah, of course, Google owns YouTube, and, and of course, the CIA owns Google. So anyway, uh, no, that's true. All right, so we want to uh, just kind of ask David some questions. I've written a few here. We'll kind of see where the conversation goes. He's asked me to kind of chime in as well on some of these uh, questions. But the first thing I'd like to know, just on a personal level, is tell us how you came to faith in Christ. Okay, this, this is a long story, but I'm going to try to make it short. I grew up Catholic. Um, when I was in high school, I started playing the drums. And uh, shout out to Ken. Yeah. Um, I got to bang on his set last night a little bit. Um, and I got the opportunity to tour with a Christian organization called Young America Showcase. And so they toured across the country in high schools and junior highs. And it was a Christian organization. But we got into the schools, did a little assembly program, gave an anti-drug message or something, and then invited them back either that night or the next night for a full concert where we shared the gospel. And so I wasn't even a Christian when I got in. I would have considered myself a good person. But the guys in my band, the band that I was in, it was just amazing, God's providence and God's grace. Um, he put me in with a group of guys that were solid, and we had a Bible study. 
Um, our manager was a former, was a pastor, and it was just an amazing. God just kind of protected me and brought me into this. And so that's when I bought my first Bible, started reading through cover to cover. And uh, but here's the thing: I thought I gave my life to the Lord, um, but I still didn't understand what true conversion and discipleship was. And so I wouldn't say I was a born-again believer. I would say, yes, I believe the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. I believed all that, but I didn't live it. It didn't change my life. And, and so you have to make choices, of course, once you come to the Lord and how you're going to live your life. So it took an, many, many more years until my dad died to really wake me up. And that's when I dove into God, into Scripture. And I said, I recommitted my life if I was ever converted in the first place. But I really dove into God and, and just cried out to him, and that's when it changed my life. So that's when I really said, Lord, my life is yours. I understand um, that this life is but a vapor. That's Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so uh, I really had to make a decision, and I did. So, yeah, finally. so I think, uh, I think a lot of people's story is very similar to that, where they hear and believe the gospel, which is all you have to do to be saved. If you believe mm -hmm. the gospel, you're saved. That The Bible says that 160 times in the New Testament alone. But then, uh, you know, often it takes a while for uh, the discipleship process to kick in, and we, we don't always get serious about our faith early mm -hmm. on. And often there's some unfreezing event or life crisis or experience that really the Spirit of God uses who's already dwelling in our hearts because we've believed the gospel to really draw us closer to Him and, and, and as you said, kind of go in full force. So. You know, I want to I kind of correct myself in saying that um, I, I probably would have gone to heaven because I believed and by faith that's all you need. That's the requirement. Thank you for pointing that out. But my point is I was still one foot in the world, one foot in church. Sure. One foot in the world, one foot in Christianity. And you can't live like that and be an effective disciple or witness. You can't be salt and light. And I wasn't living in obedience. Although I believed and I was reading the Bible, trying to be good. So just all that said, I, I probably, uh, you know, had a lot of learning to do at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, and, but certainly uh, living for the Lord now, making a huge difference in the world. We're so thankful for, uh, for Stand Up For The Truth and for the, the ministry that you have there. Uh, Wendy and I have had a chance to visit with uh, David and Rosanna. By the way, she's also a very gifted musician and sings. And tonight mm -hmm. at our fellowship here at 530. We're going to play some of her music, so I encourage awesome. you to come out for that. She wasn't able to make it with him on this trip, but we've had the chance to fellowship with him and just uh, love uh, love the Fiorazos to death and appreciate what you're doing for the body of Christ. So um, one of the, the questions I thought I would ask, and I don't know if you can narrow it down to one answer or not, but feel free to kind of elaborate, but given your exposure and experience with dealing with Christian leaders from all across the country, what do you think is the single greatest threat to the church in America today? Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I'm sure. You asked me a similar question last night, and the first thing I thought of was apathy, hmm. but there's more to it than that. It, it is so uh, intertwined with all the, 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 the progressive Christianity, the social uh, justice apostasy that has invaded modern evangelical churches, and it's just the greatest threat. Um, false teachings, obviously, mm -hmm. um, that we have fallen for, and now we don't even know. Um, but one thing that, that came to mind as I was thinking about your question this morning, and this question here, is the fact that we don't recognize spiritual warfare and don't live as if we have an enemy of our souls. I, and, I, and I finished my book, chapter 15. The last chapter in my book is on Nehemiah chapter 4. 
And the, the, the chapter title is um, Working for God, Ready for Battle. And the modern mm. evangelical church lives as if we're on a cruise ship, not a battleship. The reality is we are in battle. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written about the armor of God and spiritual warfare. And the, with the Antichrist spirit of the age alive and well, one of the greatest threats in the church is the biblical illiteracy, the lack of discernment, and that we don't recognize things from a biblical, spiritual perspective. We're looking too much into this world because maybe people love this world. And you know what the scripture says about that. You yeah. know, if you love this world, it's so. You, yeah, so, uh, you know, but Nehemiah 4, for those who don't know, isn't that the passage where they've got a, a shovel in one hand and a yes. sword in the other, yes. basically? I they're building the wall, but at the same time, they're constantly watching for the enemy. Yes, yeah, so, so they were, the enemies were attacking the Jews for building, having the audacity to build this wall around, massive around the city of Jerusalem, right? And their first weapon was mocking. They started mocking the Jews for doing this great, undertaking this great work. Well, then they threatened attack, but they didn't really attack. That's the end of the story. You can look back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But the Jews at the time didn't know that they were threatened with literal attack while they were building the wall. So two things. They, it says verse uh, nine in chapter four of Nehemiah says, "We prayed to our God, and we set a guard against them day and night." Mm -hmm. So they prayed, and they took action. Here's something that we can apply to the church today in our Christian lives. We pray to pray about it, surrender it to God, and then don't just say, okay, God, whatever. You have to move. You have to take action. And then what you just said, they were battle ready. With This is verse uh, 17 and 18 in Nehemiah 4. It says, with one hand, they worked at construction on the wall with one hand, and with the other, they held a weapon. They were ready at any point. They really were convinced the enemy was going to attack at any point, and there were just gaps in the wall around the whole city, so they had to be ready. So they're working for God, ready for battle. Amen. And so uh, the verse that comes to my mind is 1 Timothy 4.1, which reminds us uh, that basically everything we are lamenting and observing in the church today is... A fulfillment of prophecy in a sense because Paul tells us the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, mm. giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so uh, we, I guess in some ways we shouldn't be surprised, but at the uh, same time, because we're <clears throat> prepared for that, because we know God's Word tells us that's mm. coming, we ought to have an answer. We ought to have something uh, uh, to be able to respond to that. So I think your emphasis on spiritual warfare is absolutely critical. Uh, we talked a lot about that here at Plum Creek Chapel in our Spirit of the Antichrist uh, series that, that really reminds us that we are battling against unseen enemies, Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah. And uh, so uh, as you think about you know apathy and so forth, what is the number one weapon uh, that the church should have in its hand while we're doing the work of ministry with the other well, hand. Well, the sword of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> it's yeah, the only the offensive Bible. weapon, right? That's right. And by yeah. the way, we're supposed to be on offense because Jesus said we should be storming the gates of hell. Mm -hmm. It says the gates of hell. What are gates? Gates are defensive, right? Revelation to some of you right then. Yeah. Gates are defensive. Gates of hell, not the gates of heaven. So the enemy is not storming the gates of heaven. The church is supposed to be storming the gates of hell. Well, what does that look like in our lives? This attack, instead of waiting and, and then we're attacked and then we pray and, and we're already being attacked, you know, flaming arrows in our backside or whatever. <laughs> no, we're supposed to be on offense. 
but it's hard. It's a lot, it takes a lot of work to be biblically prepared, to be grounded in the word, rooted in the word, and then to be able to stand and be able to be salt and light. And what does that mean? That's a whole other uh, topic. But what does that mean to be salt and light? So we've got to be active and out there making influence. That's being on offense. We are to be the aroma of Christ, as it, 2 Corinthians 4, I think, says. So this is all about the spiritual nature of who we are as new creations in Christ, as believers in Christ. Uh, we are set apart, and we should be, but we are also to be in the world making impact for Christ. Yeah, and let's talk about that salt and light thing for just a moment, <laughs> because those of you that know me know that I, I pretty much am highly critical of our uh, rigged system in America the way it, that it has become. I mean, America is the greatest nation in the world. Our constitutional republic is the greatest form of government. Uh, but obviously, 240 some odd years later, the depravity of man, it has really become corrupt. And as we all know, and as I've been saying for 15 years in our ministry, uh, the hope of getting uh, f free and fair elections at the national level mm -hmm. is, is often really a question mark. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be out there trying to make a difference as much as we can in our community. And Amen. as evidence of that, right here in uh, Douglas County in Colorado, uh, we had some recent victories at, at the polling booth. You know, we were, up, we were concerned about, for example, the school board and the left-leaning nature of the existing school board. And so uh, a block of candidates, four candidates, that we actually hosted a, an open forum Q&A right here in this church. Nothing wrong with that at all. You know, uh, the church is, is, in, is called to go out and make a difference and be salt and light and be active in uh, government. And, uh, and so they ended up winning, these conservatives. And so we're really excited about that. And then next year, we have a conservative uh, candidate for sheriff that I uh, hope you guys, I'm not, it's not my place to tell you who to vote for, but I hope you'll do the research and, and look at uh, local politics through the lens of the biblical, timeless truths of Scripture and vote your conscience and vote the candidate that you think most closely resembles the principles of biblical Christianity. And so uh, we, we really believe that, and that's what part of what is salt and light. Is that, would you say, Amen. would you agree with that? Amen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is one of the problems in the church. There, there are two extremes. There's one group that's all about politics, and all, they, they get crazy over every election and every little thing, every little law passed and ju judicial decision, and they get too far over that one way, and they get obsessed with it, kind of like getting away from the, the, the peace and the hope we have in the scriptures and, and being Christians. But then the, the, more, the bigger problem, I think, is a large portion of the church wants nothing to do with politics. They think it's evil, Christians shouldn't be involved, and uh, Jesus said, didn't say go and, and build a building and stay inside and have programs and entertain the flock. He said go and make disciples. And so a lot of people that don't want to get involved in politics, that's just saying, all right, I don't care what kind of immoral law the government passes that will affect my kids, that will affect my family, whether it's taxes, whether it's the, the, it's transgender laws, hate speech, hate crimes, are, they're coming around the corner, friends. But if you don't vote, that means you don't care about these things. And I think you do care about these things. But for too many years, not you in this congregation, but people in America, in the Christian churches, have said, yeah, I don't want to get involved in politics. You know what they call a political issue? And I know I'm going on here. No, that's great. That's Abortion. why you're here. <laughs> Abortion. Is yeah. that a political issue? Mm -mm. Isn't, that, there, isn't there something about that in the Ten Commandments? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the Bible says a pregnant woman is with child. 
You know, the baby in, in uh, Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy mm -hmm. when I heard the voice of, of Mary. Uh, and there's so many other, you know, God knew us before in our mother's womb, before we were even born. So, the, so life in the womb is a human baby, a child in the womb, with child. But what do we call it now? A fetus. Mm -hmm. Oh, they say, oh, we're going to take care of the pregnancy. That's what they, abortion, right? Mm -hmm. Reproductive freedom. They've got all these words for it. Family planning. Family, yeah. yeah. But the, the point is, too many people in the church think that's a political issue. And this, mm -hmm. is, this is the problem. That's why there hasn't been enough pushback since 1973 when a handful of justices decided that you can kill your own offspring. And by the way, the Latin meaning for the word fetus is offspring. Yeah. Another translation, Baby, yeah. a little one. Yeah. Offspring or little one. Mm -hmm. So you tell me if God doesn't think that's a, a, a precious life in the womb that has rights and should be protected. So yeah. the church has abandoned this issue in part because it's political. It's been made a political issue. Sorry to yeah. go on so long. Yeah, and so the biblical teaching clearly is life begins at conception. That's when life begins, and life is precious before a holy God. And uh, we did a, a brief overview of this, about 30 minutes of it or so, in I think it was part two or three of what in the world is going on in the context of uh, using uh, murdered baby parts in vaccines. And so in order to make that case with the problem with that, I, I made the biblical case for the sanctity of life from Scripture. So if you're interested in studying that more, go back and check out that series, What Thank in the World you. is Going Thank On. You. So, so. <clears throat> what percentage do you think of, and I know this is just a dead reckoning on your part, but of, of churches in America today are really preaching the Bible as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices? Do you have a guess? Like authoritative? Like, yeah, like this the, is like the only standard. Inerrant. Yeah, and the inerrant, authoritative, inspired Word of God as the only standard. What percentage are preaching it? Yeah. 25 Wow. So I would have said five. So you're more optimistic. Well, I am optimistic. Yeah, I'm yes. more pessimistic. You're more optimistic. But you're a Packers fan and I'm a Cowboys fan, so that follows. Um, but anyway, uh, no, I really think uh, even if we're, either of us are correct, it's a sad reflection on the church today, anywhere from 5 to 25 percent. But to me, that's the difference between a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview. A lot of people say, I have a Christian worldview. Well, that just means they... You know, they're not Muslim, they're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, you know, they, they subscribe to Focus on the Family, they listen to Christian radio, so I've got a Christian worldview. Well, that's different from a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says that this book is the only standard for all decisions that we make. In other words, when making decisions... What does the Bible say trumps everything else mm -hmm. when making that decision? And I think more and more, uh, we especially saw it with this uh, the uh, medical tyranny that was rolled out over the last uh, almost two years now, uh, when so many churches allowed the government to tell them when they could meet, where they could sit, how many people could come into their church, how, what they could mm -hmm. sing and how they could sing it, and, and yeah. whether they could open their doors or not. I mean, to me... That's a direct violation of the Word of God on so many Amen. levels. So I would say uh, I, uh, my gut tells me it's far less. And having traveled uh, the country and spoken in a lot of churches, I think uh, it's a sad state of affairs. Well, 25 to 5. This brings up another kind of topic in that there are categories of, quote, Christian mm. churches. Yeah. We, we didn't, I think we talked a little yeah, bit about air, that. Yeah, off air, yeah. Yeah, so there are some good Bible-believing churches that do believe the Scriptures are authoritative, but yet, for whatever reason, they avoid Bible prophecy. 
they avoid Daniel, Revelation, Ezekiel, whatever else. It might be either too controversial or there's unknowns or they haven't studied it or they went to the, a certain seminary that just taught about church growth and, and how to run your church like a business instead of being you know, yeah. a, a church. Um, so there's a problem there. There's a category that doesn't teach that, but yet they believe the Bible is true, but they are not as effective. And I believe they, I don't know, I think it's between them and God Yeah. So they that, shy away from certain teachings. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this on the Stand Up For The Truth radio program before, but I call it the 84% club because you can't say, I believe the Bible is our total one and only standard and then ignore 16% of it. And as we've said, you know, roughly... 33% uh, of the Bible is prophecy, and half of that has yet to be fulfilled. So if you're ignoring what the Bible says about future things and mm -hmm. what's to come, you're, only, you're, you're ignoring 16% of the Bible. And this, what he just said, because they're ignoring that portion of Scripture, for whatever reason, um, leads them to want to invest more in this life. Amen. What's the most, one of the most popular books? Have your best life sure, now. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Do Christians really want their best life now? Do we really believe that this is, can be our best life? That you'll never have a, a, a death in the family, you'll never have anyone with a sickness or disease or a trial or a tragedy, and that this is getting better? This is, this is the kind of thinking that damages the church, and yet you know who is the best-selling author? Yeah. And a lot of churches, they, their books are right there. And So I really get a little disheartened when be, a lot of believers are following that kind of mentality because it just takes you to this, like I said, the cruise ship mentality. Look out for number one. Try to have as much fun and leisure as you can here in this life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches suffering. The Bible teaches there is a cost. We don't like to hear that, that you have to deny yourself. If you really want to live for Christ, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated me first. So uh, it's, it's just a, a lack of perspective and context about the abundant life. You've got to really define that from a scriptural perspective, not from a psychological or motivational speaking perspective. Yeah, Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable. So it's not about Amen. this Amen. life. Jesus didn't die on the cross, shed his blood so that you could be happier. <laughs> he died on the cross to rescue you from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. Now, it is true that those who by faith have trusted in Christ and then are born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, have a new outlook. So we now look at the life as look at life through the lens of a child of God, a born-again Christian who has different priorities, different perspectives. And so, of course, we're going to have more fulfillment and contentment and a, a better outlook on life. But that's not why Jesus died. Amen. Our life on earth is just a speck on the timeline of eternity. Amen. And Jesus didn't go to the cross to atone for the sins of the world just to, so that we could have a better and happier life on earth. Yeah. And we need to remember that. And so, yes. yeah, I think, uh, you know, back to the churches that ignore parts of the Bible, that, that's a good point. If, if you were, you know, if I were speaking, strictly speaking of those who, who do think the Bible is the authoritative word of God, mm -hmm. maybe it is 25%. But then you've got to call out of that those churches that don't handle it correctly Accurately handling the word right. of truth. Yeah. Yes. Cutting straight, as we're talking about in our <laughs> midweek service here at Plum Creek Chapel. And so for that reason, you know, you mentioned Old Testament prophetic books like Ezekiel and Daniel. Well, they may teach those, but they spiritualize them, allegorize them. They don't take them in their literal grammatical historical context. So therefore, they miss out on the future promises to Israel, the promises of a literal 
a kingdom and a literal throne and a literal temple. And uh, so I think they're, they're missing out. And when you take those out, you get to 5%. And so I was right. And by <laughs> Which is really all that matters. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, it's interesting. Um, I, I did a sermon several years ago. Um, what would Jesus say to the church in America? Hmm, that's a great one. And you can just think about that. And something we have to go on is how he addressed the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And I like to think of America, unfortunately, I call it the United States of Entertainment, but we are the Laodicean church. We are lukewarm. And Jesus said, I would rather have you be hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, in Laodicea, there were, there were underwater aqueducts, the this, this system of getting water. I think Hierapolis was one of the cities mm -hmm. close by. Yep. And uh, I think uh, Colossae, Colossae. Mm -hmm. one of them had hot springs, one of them had cold, refreshing water. I don't remember which is which. Both of, but both of which were useful. Yes, yes, right. yes. And they were not within 12, 10, 15 miles of Laodicea. Laodicea had this underwater system, and when visitors came and took a drink of the water, they spit it out because it was lukewarm or tepid or maybe not that clean. So when Jesus said that to the church, they knew the Christians, believers at that time, knew exactly in Asia Minor what he was talking about, because visitors would spit out this water, and that he gave a picture of how he sees a lukewarm church, a church that is not passionate for the things of God. Yeah, and so the, a lot of people misunderstand that passage there in, in Revelation three, and they think that you know Jesus was saying you either need to be completely an unbeliever or on fire for for me. But because you're lukewarm, no, that's not the contrast between cold and hot. The contrast was between useful water and unuseful. And, and, and if you were hot or cold, you, you served a purpose. But if you're lukewarm, there's really nothing. I mean, what can you think of you use lukewarm water for? It doesn't taste good. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not something you yeah. put it in your soup or you drink after you know, working outside in the yard. So, yeah, I think that that's a great description. A lot of people have made that comparison that it seems like the church in America today uh, has become the Laodicean church. Now, we weren't always that way. In the early no. days of this country, especially with the, the Plymouth uh, crowd that came over and the Puritans, they were on fire for the Lord. They were seeking freedoms. But it didn't take long for Satan to get his hand into the early days of this church. And, and I think that, it, biblically speaking, we know that it's getting worse and worse and worse. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. So you know, we've got you know two hundred almost two hundred fifty years now, and and look where we're at. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, exactly. so if you had to grade the church, you know, think about the New Testament model of a church. We see this. Of course, the church was born in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. We see some you know descriptive uh, models there of what the church looked like, but then we see in the epistles some teaching about what it's supposed to look like: the offices, the purposes, the goals. Hmm. If based on that template. What grade would you give uh, the New Testament church or the church in America today? Oh, in America. Wow. Um, mm. D plus. Wow. Yeah, that's about where I'd put it. Yeah. I give it a plus because there is a remnant. This church is part of the remnant of Bible-believing Christian churches. I call it the true Bible-believing Christian remnant in America. So when we talk about the church being lukewarm or apathetic or whatever, ineffective in our culture. It doesn't mean the whole nation, doesn't mean every church in the country. Every, every state probably has a handful 
of remnant churches. And boy, they have to do make up for all the people that are not <laughs> impacting culture. But so that's that's what I consider a perspective when you look at. I don't want to give people the idea that they're like we're the only people that get it. No, because there are churches in every state, but it definitely is the minority um, yeah. who are not only teaching and, and sound doctrine, but also apply application is huge. And what good is it if you just I mean, if, even if you come to a great church, you study under a great pastor, watch online sermons at home, and don't do anything with all that you're learning and the Holy Spirit in you. What good is that to the world? And, and by the way, Jesus said make disciples, right? If you're just doing it for yourself and your own learning, I think there's a problem. So application is so important. Yeah, so what have we said in our midweek service for those of you that have come out for that? The goal of Bible study is a changed life. It's not just to get smarter or store up knowledge. Uh, I've said many times the, the world is full of biblically brilliant, morally bankrupt people. Knowing the Word of God. <laughs> like yeah, it really is. I mean, I, you know, the, the, knowing the Word of God is one thing. Doing it is another. James says it's yeah. not just hearing the Word of God that will make you blessed. Mm -hmm. It's hearing and doing. Yeah. And so I do think there is a category, back to your comment about trying to categorize different types of churches today, which is very difficult to do because yeah. it's just all across the board. Yeah. But I think there is one category of people who, who are in what I call pride, have prideful intellectualism and are really, you know, digging deep into the Word of God. It's, it's the kind of churches that are, you know, parsing Greek verbs on the overhead projector. And, you know, they brag about, our pastor's been preaching through the Gospel of John. He's been in it for six years. He's on chapter two. Isn't he awesome? You know, he's a, he's a great preacher. Look at it. And I'm thinking, if you're only on chapter two after six years, you're doing something wrong. You know, you're missing the big picture. You know, you're obsessing over the details. And so, and, and I think those, that church... Uh, again, is is inward focused. They're mm -hmm. you know they're, they're focusing on building up, but they're not taking that next step, which is application, yeah. making you know applying it to both your own lives and the world around us yes. to make a difference. Yes. So here, when we talk about categories, there's a couple that we haven't yeah just to touch on. It is the actual false teachers, the apostates that are still in the church that are teaching progressive Christianity. Which if you endorse things that are are not biblical about Jesus or, or about uh, the, some say it's okay to be a gay Christian. And I kind of scratch my head and go, how, how does that work exactly? Can I be a, an uh, adulterer Christian? <laughs> Can I be a homosexual Christian? Can I be a murderer uh, Christian? Murderer Christian? Uh, you know what I mean? A pro-choice Christian, gay Christian. Um, can I be a coveting Christian? All these things that are, if you go against God's word, you can't really say you're a Christian. You've got to repent of these things. So that's another, the false teachings. And then another thing is, uh, way over on this end of the spectrum, are churches who, their sound doctrine, they might teach verse by verse. They might believe the Bible is true and authoritative. And they might try to tell their, their congregation to go out and make disciples. And they're trying to impact culture. But they avoid politics or uh, they avoid, for example, the biggest issue is religious freedom these days, one of the biggest issues with the vaccine. But it started with the masks. And what did we do last year? The church was deemed by government non-essential in America. That's how the world sees the Christian church in America, non-essential. So you don't have to be open, but Planned Parenthoods were open. Mm -hmm. Home, Home Depot, marijuana shops. Um, of course, gas stations, grocery stores, I understand that. But the point is... Churches, 
non-essential. Don't gather, you know, don't worry about it. And that was very eye-opening. So there's another category of church, pastors or churches, that says, all right, we're going to do whatever the government says. Whatever the government says. And that's scary. We're in a very concerning time, not just for America and the world with the Great Reset and the push for globalism, global socialism, but for the church here, very concerning what happened last year. To me, it was eye-opening. Not that churches would say, okay, this is an unknown virus. We'll, we'll close for a week or two and we'll see. Because, you know, we, we want to be cautious and use wisdom. And with the information we have, we're going to make decisions based on that. But what happened is churches fell for the propaganda and the talking points of the liberal leftist socialist Marxist media and the, you know, the government, the deep state, everyone was pushing this propaganda about the virus and China and everything else. And so churches stayed closed. And then another thing happened, which is very interesting, a YouTube sermon. What's wrong with a YouTube sermon? Well, nothing in and of itself, but is that church? Is that ecclesia? YouTube, ecclesia, <laughs> you know, a video or the gathering, the fellowship, the body of Christ, the believers that need to meet. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and encourage one another and have communion. Listen to the apostles' teaching or the pastor's teaching and have prayer. Lay hands on the sick and, and be part of the ministry in the body of Christ. You can't do that at home watching a video, but we were sold in the church for a good three to six months. That's that, that was okay. That was the right thing to do, to be safe and cautious. Yeah, I even heard that that was good, that people say, oh, look, yeah. look yeah. at how much better the church is now because now we're reaching so many more people. But it's, you know, there was that moment, yep. and you identified it, when the church lost the moral high ground, lost the authority. We deferred, kind of like at the beginning of a football game when they <laughs> flip a coin and, and the team that wins, sometimes they'll defer. They'll mm -hmm. say, yeah, it's up to you. Well, that's basically what the church did in that moment. They said, you know what, it's up to you. We'll take our marching orders from you. And in that moment... It was, you know, it was a sad day for, yeah, for, for Christianity. It was eye-open. And yeah. I know this could open up a whole other Bible study on Romans 13 and, and submitting to government. You know, I mean, Paul appealed to Caesar. Mm -hmm. You know, there were certain things that, that the Hebrew midwives, they disobeyed the order to, you know, to kill all the infants, right? Otherwise, Moses would have been dead. There's so many people in the Bible that were commended by God that went against government. How did they fall under Romans 13? So I, there's so many things that we could talk about now, but that was yeah. a very revealing time. And we've, uh, if you're interested at Not By Works, we have a whole podcast on does Romans 13 teach that Christians must obey the government at all costs? And it does not, but I have an hour-long you know, treatment of that passage that explains uh, what that really means. And it's really, by the way, America is the only country in the world where Christians think that. No Christians in North Korea think they've got to obey the North Korean government no matter what. That's a good point. Nobody in China thinks that's a Christian thinks we've got to obey the government no matter what. And only in America have we redefined that to say, well, as long as the government's not mandating sin, then you must obey them. No, it's about the agenda. It's about the goal. It's about their worldview. I mean, there's there's that they can do things that in and of themselves you can't find a thou shalt not in the scripture but if you know what their agenda is which is satanic you need not do it so there's no other country where we've bought into that to that line so um 
what do you, where do you see the trajectory going? Is there hope? Do you think there's a chance that there, we could see widespread revival break out and the church return to its biblical moorings? What, where do you see us going? Yes, yes, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's always hope because we have a hope that the world does not have. Suicide rates right now are off the charts. I mean, with the teenagers confused in the government-run uh, anti-Christian godless uh, school system, and I say that because I come from a family of teachers, and my sisters and my cousins and, and a dear friend of mine who retired recently. So I know how the educational system has changed. But because of the transgender ideology and the, the uh, gender surrender is what we often refer to as, kids are being con really confused. They're getting it from Hollywood. They're getting it online. They're getting it at school seven hours a day. So what do you think they're going to come home thinking? They're, and if they're in a Christian family, it doesn't mean they're not, still not going to be questioning or confused. So, and plus the teaching of evolution. They're thinking, if I'm just by accident, this is all random, and there's no God, and I have no real a purpose in life, that's a completely different worldview. And it is a hopeless worldview. It is a, this life is all there is. It's a survival of the fittest. So the suicide rates are off the charts. And we've got to minister to these young people that are hearing this and believing this. But yet there is always hope, though. The biblical worldview, the true gospel, is a hopeful thing, recognizing that this life is so short, but we have hope we can do something now to make an impact for eternity by loving our neighbors and sharing the truth and just being who God created each of us to be with the talents and abilities we have. So there is always hope, and we await that blessed hope, the return of our great God and Savior. We have something the world cannot understand. Of course, they cannot discern it spiritually, but they cannot understand this hope. So they are hopeless. So we, we can shine this light into this dark culture. So that's where we have hope now in our purpose in Christ and then what we have to look forward to. But will there be... Uh, revival. Pockets of revival, I believe, are happening already. We just don't hear about it. Uh, there are, there's a pastor in California. Uh, there's just different places in the nation where they're preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. Interesting it's come back to that, right, JB? Mm -hmm. yeah, repent, for the kingdom, of yeah. hand is, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But repentance is the message. Repent and believe the gospel. So there are churches, North Carolina, I think, is one of them. And uh, so there are some, but I'm an optimist, and yet I don't see it happening nationwide. I think we've had opportunities where the church and Christians in America have had our backs up against the wall so many times, whether it's, it's court cases, court decisions. Think of 2015. They just wiped out the, the will of 31 states, I think, and the defense of marriage in all these states, and they've legalized gay, quote, marriage, which is not marriage, as you know. But they, the Supreme Court did this, and now it's the, quote, law of the land. Wait a minute, that's not constitutional. I thought the legislative branch was the one that makes law, not the judicial. But anyway, this is what, and our backs are get up against the wall. Then Christians were discriminated against. Then they went into, into bakers and florists and, and bread and breakfast owners and photographers and Christian business owners and said, you're not going to serve me, I'm going to sue you. And so it's been a battle in the courts. But if, as a church, if our backs have been up against the wall so many times over the last 50-plus years and we haven't gone to our knees, gone to our church, gone to our knees and gathered the, the, the congregation and prayed and sought God, and we haven't. Yeah. And so I, that's why I don't see a true revival. I hope there's going to be another awakening. And, and look at what happened with COVID. 
And what happened last year? Our cities were burning. And it was justified. <laughs> Lawlessness was justified. Do you know that in a, in a survey of people under 40 years old, 58% of them said what was going on in the country all summer long was justified. 58%. Mm -hmm. so, so you're saying one murder, as tragic as it was, the murder of George Floyd, one murder was enough to say theft, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, looting, rioting, violence, vandalism, burning buildings, blowing up cars. And by the way, there were dozens of people, including black business owners in some of these cities that were killed. Yet you can justify all this because of the Marxist movement and the idea of Black Lives Matter. But this is where we're at. And the church didn't, I don't know, I didn't see a lot of resistance, did you? Yeah, we were distracted. Yeah. Well, the, I highly recommend you pick up the book, Canceling Christianity. And uh, before we close, just a couple of um, comments, if I may, just about some of the stuff we've been talking about to kind of tie it all up. Uh, don't forget, tonight at 530, we're going to have uh, questions for David. So I know you've got a lot of questions, and this is the guy to ask. Uh, and uh, so we want to pick his brain while we've got him. But that'll be tonight at 530. I hope you'll come back for that. Refreshments and fellowship. Um, but you talked about repentance. Of course, the biblical concept of repentance means a change of mind. And so what people need to do is change their mind about Christ and recognize that He alone is the only one that can forgive sin and give them the gift of eternal life mm -hmm. and therefore trust in Him alone. Changing your behavior, which is always recommended. If you're involved in terrible, sinful behavior, we recommend you stop it because it won't end well. But changing your behavior does not get you into heaven. Even if you're trying right. to be a good person, that's a behavior. That's a behavior. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And then also just wanted to clarify that when we talk about you know, you can't uh, be an, a homosexual Christian or a murdering Christian or even the, the so-called little sins, right? Coveting Christian, <laughs> jealous Christian. What we mean by that is Christ does not condone those things. Certainly Christians sin. We know that. We talked about that the last couple of weeks in our main service. Uh, so we're not saying that if someone is doing something like that, they're definitely not a Christian. It's possible for even Christians to struggle with the worst kinds of sins if they cater to the flesh. What we're saying is you can't claim that Christianity, according to the Christ of the Bible, condones those things. Right, as a That's lifestyle. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much, David. It's been uh, it's been awesome. I wish we had a bunch more time, but yeah. we'll come back tonight we'll and tonight. Uh, and uh, look forward to questions. Yeah. And we've got 15 minutes here at the break. You can kind of attack him as well. Good. Uh, for those of you live streaming, we're going to sign off, but uh, we will come back together for the live streamers for our message at about 10:25, 10:30, give or take. Uh, our service here in the auditorium starts at 10 o'clock. So let's take a break and uh, come meet David and get a chance to know him a little bit. Thanks. God bless. Thank you, guys.